Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. I'm Rob McLeod, joined as always by Brendan O'Leary, and today we're discussing the teaching and learning model, aka instruction in a mainstream school. Brennan, you have a nice colorful shirt on today. Does it match your inner demeanor right now? Oh, well, winters are coming, but I've got a hope that uh, this year's Winterman is going to smile on us all and make, make this journey pleasant. Glad to hear. So let's wait and see, shall we? I would like to take a stab at doing the reinventing education in a nutshell. Should you be someone who's tuning into us for the first time ever, you might have noticed there was like 78 or so episodes in the backlog. And I have to be honest, we've kind of been attempting to build a thesis, a hypothesis along the way here about what it could mean to reinvent education. And uh, Brennan and I try to do kind of a quick Coles Notes introduction for anybody who is new and for anybody who has been following along an attempt to kind of synthesize things we've done along the way. Wow, this is a long introduction to a nutshell (laughs) concept. Um, But I sat down, spent 45 minutes or so this morning attempting to revise my version of our nutshell, trying to incorporate and synthesize and integrate and all those good words. Um, Some of my own experiences having applied this model to our school and conversations with some other folks. So I would love to take a turn attempting to present the reinventing education model in a nutshell. The real question is, how big is this nutshell? Are we talking a, a a tiny wee acorn shell or are we talking a coconut? We're talking coconut, like an abnormally large coconut. All right. Well, I'm, I'm up for that. Okay. Here we go. In every school, you will find a tug of war between different ideas about what a good education looks like. Why is this? Well, everyone involved, parents, students, teachers, and administration could have a traditional, a mainstream, or a progressive vision about what a good education looks like. Each of these three approaches to school is trying to move the school in the direction of its definition of what a good education is. The three approaches use the same vocabulary, but each approach uses different definitions when talking about their vision of education. It is true that traditional mainstream progressive approaches share the same three aims of education. So all three of them value occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, traditional mainstream and progressive approaches each have completely different ideas about what these three things mean. Not only are the ideas different about how to meet those three shared aims of education, the three approaches support fundamentally different views about the kind of relationships and models and systems that best prepare a student while encouraging academic success in their approach to school. So what are these differences? Traditional could be summed up as the master and apprentice model. The teacher is an expert and knows the best one way for students to achieve academic success while meeting the three aims. Mainstream, the dynamic of the relationship is more like an Olympic coach with an athlete. The teacher works to assess and create each student's individual optimal way to achieve academic success in accordance with the curriculum and to meet those three aims of school. Progressive. The relationship here is the dynamic of a counselor and the counseled. The teacher and student negotiate the student's path to achieve their goals for academic success while meeting those three aims of occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, 
These three approaches not only impact the nature of what's happening in the classroom, they ripple out, permeate to the rest of the organization in terms of how it operates. So traditional school maintains a clear pyramid of authority, prioritizing security along with duty and tradition. Mainstream uses a flexible meritocracy of authority, prioritizing achievement along with measurable progress and transparency, whereas progressive uses horizontal leadership, prioritizing inclusion along with the individual search of meaning and individual empowerment. So each of these three types of school can be done well, somewhat well, or poorly. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it is better for a school to choose the type that best suits its students, staff, and community context, and to do that one of the three approaches well, rather than be pulled in a tug of war in various directions at the expense of time, resources, passion, and relationships, only to do two or three of the types of school somewhat effectively or not effectively at all. In general, the path to becoming a high-functioning school in any given approach requires different school goals that inform both the instruction and the organization of the school and how the individuals in the communities function. So we would say to become a high-functioning traditional school, the goals of the school center around coherence, expertise, the clarity of duties of, and roles, and horizontal collaboration. So to become a high-functioning mainstream school, the developmental goals center around transparency, database decisions, differentiation, and horizontal as well as vertical collaboration. And to become a high-functioning progressive school, the developmental goals center around decisions by consent, transdisciplinary models, individual meaning, and egalitarian structures. Each of the three approaches has strengths, gifts that are unique to them when done well. However, they bring with them weaknesses or drawbacks to the babies in the bathwaters. So here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring the idea of a next type of school, a next approach, a post-progressive approach to education that prioritizes the integration of the previous three approaches. Why? Well, an integration approach would seek a flexible and adaptive balance of these three previous approaches as an adaptive approach to inquire and provide what is deemed a best fit for the students, the community, and the system in any given context to best meet those three educational aims of occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development as defined by those involved. The integration value attempts to maximize the gifts, when appropriate, of each approach to education while discerning how to minimize unnecessary drawbacks that are required when wholly investing in doing one approach well. So we're kind of suggesting two things simultaneously, either do one well or move towards this integration value of doing all of them where necessary. Each approach to education solves problems or drawbacks that the previous approach created and also has more potential gifts than the previous. However, each subsequent approach also has more moving parts and therefore more potential ways that things can go wrong. Hence, while a post-progressive approach has great potential, it demands more capacities and skills to pull off well. In order to integrate the gifts of the previous three approaches to school, we need to know how each work and what we are working with. So our podcast is currently digging deep into the three approaches to school, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, and analyze them across the eight aspects of a school. These eight aspects are the systems, so how a school organizes itself, the environments, where a school organizes itself, and these could be physical or digital, resources, what a school uses, actions, what practices or activities we see a school engaging in, communities who are in the various overlapping social circles of groups. 
culture. What do we allow in each of those groups? Beliefs of the individual, the ideas and values of each individual involved, as well as the reactions, the emotional and physical responses of each individual involved. We do see that these eight aspects typically look very different depending on which type of school is present. So at this point, on the Reinventing Education journey, come join us as we use these eight aspects to dig into these three approaches to school in service of helping us better understand where we are in our own educational contexts, hopefully widening our relationships and respecting while discerning our differences with others thanks to this framework and also working to develop a larger tool belt for an integrative approach to education. And that's it. Um, I, I missed it, sorry. Could you just just one? Just very good attempt, Robert, to uh, set out the stall. So, you know, if you are brand new, a lot of moving parts, but I think at its core, we're looking at three different value systems and all uh, attempting to make their way through the world. And so we're currently in this season looking at the mainstream school, which is the one that we that most of us will see up and down the uh, roads around us and the ones that we maybe went to as kids and uh, definitely our kids are going to now in most cases. And as you said, Rob, we're looking at the teaching and learning model or the uh, what happens inside the classroom. And actually this is kind of invisible, especially in traditional school, but even in a mainstream school, it's only as you get um, into, I guess, high functioning mainstream schools and then on into progressive schools were even acknowledging that there is a model of teaching um, comes onto people's radar. Obviously, the most the most traditional form of uh, instruction model is the lecture, in which uh, it is a hundred percent the teacher. And even in a, a traditional elementary or middle school, you wouldn't you wouldn't see this. But once you get into high school and up into university, this is actually still <laughs> the key model of instruction. You walk into the room. And an hour and a half later, you walk out and maybe there was a few questions, but it was probably 99% delivered by a single teacher. Um, and then what you're more likely see in a traditional school with um, uh, is a kind of what we call a two-part lesson. So there'd be a longer teacher lecture, 50, 60, 70% of the lesson, and then the students would go off and maybe uh, review their notes and do a small activity. As you move more into mainstream, it, the, you know, the, the, there is more of a balance and you uh, get to what is now called the three-part lesson where there's a shorter whole class section uh, and then uh, differentiated work and then usually a kind of what we call a plenary, so a review or a sharing session at the end. Um, yeah, so Rob, you know, why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown of what we might see in uh, teaching and learning the instructional model within a mainstream classroom. So one of the important things that was addressed in that very concise nutshell was the idea of mainstream schools valuing assessment-based decisions or rather data-based decisions. So essentially everything we're going to talk about today is couched within referencing data from diagnostic assessments. So there's kind of this belief in a mainstream school that you don't just start a unit. You don't just start teaching. You first diagnose or check in with what students already know, and that then using that data allows you to set up differentiated instructions, differentiated instruction, be that differentiated ability groups, being that um, whatever that looks like. So everything we're kind of saying is first being put 
through the lens or having been informed by the data from those pre-assessments. So you mentioned the three-part lesson, the idea of some kind of input, some time to work, and then some sort of review at the end. You're most likely going to see that or some version of that happening in a mainstream school. There will be some kind of input and the word hook is often used, this idea of hooking the students with, with some kind of question or something, you know, some quick, often humorous or unexpected uh, thing to catch or hook students' attention. It will then often be tied back to a very specific learning objective, which is most likely being quoted from the curriculum itself. Uh, when we were discussing classroom environments, we talked about the idea that you'll often see in particularly British schools, the acronym WALT. We are learning to uh, do this very specific thing from the curriculum. And then the WILF is the what I look for or what I'm looking for. So the very specific success criteria to ensure that you've met that curriculum objective. Likely some kind of question period to get students thinking about things, most likely turning and talking to other people. So there will be some discussions. There's the think, pair, share model or strategy, I should say, where students think about something, then they turn, they talk to a partner about what they've been thinking about. And the idea here, though, is that like everyone is being involved in some way in this discussion. So everyone is being called upon. It's not the perhaps traditional approach where the teacher is just going down the class list and calling one person and the next. And there's this idea that this should be interesting. It should be entertaining. And by all means, like you can use any resource that supports it being interesting, entertaining, and encouraging student achievement. So this could include videos, any kind of multimedia, um, whatever it might be. So we're introducing a new concept. And this new concept should be connecting and building into a larger unit. So whatever the skills are, or whatever the explicit knowledge is that students need to have, this is not just random and it's not something, oh, we should do this now. And, oh, we haven't done that. We should do this. Whatever is happening, it should connect to the other things that are going on, definitely within that subject, but whenever possible, as well as, uh, as cross subjects or cross curricular planning so that new ideas, new concepts, new skills, new knowledge should be connecting with the other things that are happening uh, for the students within that unit. Uh, Brennan, I'll turn it over to you just because we still have many more points about what's on here. And I feel I'm, I'm turning into a lecture and not involving you in a discussion. So where does the balance of kind of independent work, group work, all these things, where does that come into it? So like I said, with the more traditional lecture style, even with younger kids, it might go on longer and there may just be a single task for everybody that relates directly to what the lecture is about. And sometimes these are kind of what we might call lower order. They're not, they're not really looking at analysis or synthesis or evaluative skills. It's really just basic comprehension. As you move into more mainstream, there is the beginnings of a little bit of a push into more kind of uh, challenging um, critical thinking within these lessons on top of just basic comprehension. And so what you would look for is once the teacher has done their kind of input, which usually lasts about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on age range, then the students would be split into several kind of differentiated levels. And they would either work independently or sometimes in a, in a small group where they would then have a task that is uh, kind of leveled towards their their kind of ability level. And as we said, it's based 
often on a, a form of pre-assessment, even if that's just a formative assessment, as in that the teacher's just been making observations and looking through work. And again, that's not to say that traditional teachers didn't do this at all. I think it's just much more explicit in a mainstream school. The teachers are actually looking, bringing books out, sharing them with the, with the, with the kids and with the class and looking for good examples and doing what we call modeling of uh, good practice. And so then, the, you know, the students are working and often this is where when we talked about the classroom environment, you'll see tables in, in kind of little clusters where groups of four to six students are kind of looking at each other and facing each other. And therefore, it's much easier for them to do more collaborative tasks or to at least uh, help each other and share information with each other as they kind of work. Now, you know, this is a little bit of a straw man of the traditional teacher, but the traditional teacher during this part of the lesson might be then uh, somewhat totally detached from what the rest of the kids are doing. They might be marking books uh, or they may, as if you've seen in some stereotypes, have their feet up on the desk looking out of the window, maybe smoking a pipe if you're back in the 1930s. <laughs> or the healthier folks eating an apple. Exactly, an apple a day. and um, But that wouldn't be the case at all in a mainstream classroom. The mainstream teacher would then be expected to move around the class and they would either be working with a small group. So maybe uh, if they have a classroom assistant, there might be four or five groups of kids in the class. And so they would, um, you know, the teacher might move around and work with several groups or the classroom assistants also working with the group and they're kind of, you know, helping them in what we call the zone of proximal development. We've spoken about a bunch of times. So this is, you know, the, the activities are just a little bit more challenging than the kids could could do completely independently. But with the help of a, a teacher and with their peers, they can actually, you know, make greater progress than they would alone. And so this is kind of what you're seeing in the classroom. You're seeing a, a lot of a much more dynamic interaction of people. It's not as much heads down or working independently. And um, that kind of dialogue between the teacher and the students is actually kind of vital. Now, it's not quite the kind of um, what we would call transformative dialogue you might find in a, in a progressive classroom where it's actually going to lead towards some you know, fundamental changes in actions and belief, but it is a it is a dialogue that helps students to get a better understanding and approach this work with a slightly more critical eye. Um, but there's another kind of model as well that works inside some mainstream classrooms, which is a conferring model. So this would be while the students are working, the teacher might call over individual students and and talk in detail for five or so minutes about their work. And we use a lot of these models in our school and it can be really quite valuable because one of the hardest things to do, even in a differentiated classroom, is to make sure every single student is kind of like, you know, met at their level. So no matter how well you prepare the task in advance, there will always be some kids for whom this is too easy or too hard and and. As you move into more open-ended tasks, that's tasks such as, say, writing a story or creating a project that have many different ways to present your learning, then it becomes much more complex to differentiate. And therefore, these kind of one-to-one -one discussions where you can really hone in on what individual students are doing well and what, what they're working on becomes really, really important. Um, 
And this is all part of this idea of formative assessment. So everything the students do, the teachers are looking for ways to gather information so that they can support those kids in a more pointed way, in a more specific way. And a, a big part of that is giving feedback. So whether that's you know specific feedback written inside a, a on, on a, a worksheet or inside a book, um, and what we call actionable feedback. So you know it's it's nice to say, hey, good good work, Jim. You tried really hard here, but that in and of itself isn't really very actionable. So you know, hey, this is really great. You worked hard on this. Here's what I like. I liked that you used these particular adjectives to describe. How about you know, trying to use some more feeling words or moving on to use of adverbs if you were, you know, critiquing a story, for example. And the mainstream model works very much on this idea of giving specific feedback uh, and then, you know, checking in with students to see if they've applied it and then, you know, differentiating that feedback so it's not like every single person gets the same information back because it acknowledges that people are different. Again, it doesn't quite go as far into acknowledging individuality as the progressive school. So it is a, a kind of measured model. It's it's within the framework of how the mainstream school and the curriculum works and their kind of um, long-term goals, which are often towards credentials and uh, exams and eventually college and jobs. It's all within that kind of system. So it's giving feedback and uh, to help people move along that particular path. Um, and yeah, like as I said, a lot of the tasks begin with in a more traditional school, what we would call, call closed tasks or so tasks that might only have one answer. So in, in maths, clearly, you know, two plus two only has one correct answer. And sometimes this will be a filling in the gap activity or it might be matching vocabulary and, and things that are really just a very basic remembering and comprehension what you'd see much more in this instructional model in the mainstream is uh, tasks that have maybe more of a problem-solving approach. So there may be several different answers, but it's still, again, within kind of a system of um, we've got a specific idea of what these answers might be based on our curriculum model. And um, my job as a teacher is to meet you in your small group, so as an individual, and support you to getting the quote-unquote correct answer um, or the one that kind of uh, matches where we're going in terms of our curriculum development. So that, that was quite a lot of uh, things to bear in mind, and there's many, many more in terms of this model. But uh, what are some of the, the babies, the good things? And ju that, Well, uh, just before we get to those, and I know we often pause and say something like this, I'm sure for some people, you've just listened <laughs> to that list and just been like, well, yeah, that's what's on my school's assessment of what my lessons should look like. And that's probably pretty good evidence that you're in a mainstream school environment. But again, as we are trying to express here, this is just one of these three approaches to school. This is what the mainstream model to a lesson, this is what mainstream instruction looks like. And yes, for now, at this time, this is probably the majority pretty much worldwide at this point, what we've just described here. This is what high-functioning mainstream lessons are built on. So what are the good things that we want to draw from this? What might we want to keep on our tool belt? So some of the things that we would want to keep here, first of all, just that 
it's the learning, these objectives are being made enjoyable for students. And one term that has been thrown around recently is edutainment. So education, entertainment, the idea that learning should be made interesting, or at the very least, it should be presented as being interesting. We're kind of beyond the traditional mindset of, hey, this might be boring, but you have to do it. The idea now is, well, you have to do this. And from the teacher's side, I'm at least attempting to make this you know, engaging, trying to hook you in some way, or at least, you know, we're using videos from YouTube to explain this, which have kooky characters and use humor, as opposed to just sort of a boring, dry, less interactive lecture, those sorts of things. Another one, again, differentiation, of course, take any group of human beings, and you're going to have a diversity of knowledge, a diversity of skill level, a diversity of capacity and interests. And differentiation is just the way of acknowledging that and engaging it as opposed to ignoring those differences between people. So everyone has work that is closer to their level um, and possibly even being assessed at their level as opposed to the more traditional approach of kind of the conveyor belt of we're moving everyone along around the same kind of general standards. Mainstream says, no, all of us can be at our own places and it's our job to assess that, acknowledge that, and, and to deal with that. As well, opportunity. Everyone should be taking part in the lesson. Not only does differentiation allow to acknowledge our differences, but where appropriate, everybody has the opportunity to take part and able to take part at their level, ideally. Another baby here, the idea of feedback and assessment. Now, of course, you receive feedback and assessment in traditional schools. We're not pretending that that doesn't exist. But what I would say is the mainstream approach to feedback and assessment looks quite different than the more traditional approach. So the feedback a student might receive in a more mainstream approach is input based on how you are doing in relationship to the quote-unquote objective standards. And those are likely the objective standards of the curriculum. Traditional teacher, you might get more of the teacher's personal opinion or possibly just an overall assessment that's not actually an actionable thing. And I just go back to one of the funniest things I remember, which is a much more traditional teacher having marked a student's essay. And the only comment on the bottom was, spelling bad. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's definitely feedback. And that's definitely an assessment of the student's work. But what will a student do about that? Whereas, of course, a more mainstream approach would likely highlight some kind of learning standard and then explain possibly where the student sits in relationship to the meeting of that standard and then the next steps of what the student needs to do in order to be able to be successful at that standard. In terms of the, the feedback, it, it can be quite new and unusual, not just for teachers, but for students as well. So that a student who may have been used to getting a smiley face or spelling bad for years, who suddenly encounters a more mainstream teacher, will often ignore the feedback. One of the hardest things, you know, especially with, the, with younger kids, is to get them to actually look at the feedback and then spend time putting it back into their work, which is kind of where that one-to-one -one conferring model comes into its own because, you know, for years, I, I, I you know, in England and mainstream schools, you know, is expected to write this work. And you, you would tell the kids in the next lesson, get your book out and please read what I've said. But it, it was really hard for, you know, to, to kind of build a model where they could even use it. Because um, often the feedback applies to a particular activity and then you move on to another one. 
But if you can, in mainstream school, you can link the activities together. So you come back to skills, what we call kind of the spiral curriculum idea. You come back to those skills and then you really get the students to appreciate that the feedback will help them to improve. That's why I like things like the writing cycle when we're writing stories. You know, you draft your work, you, you edit and revise it, you publish it, you plan it. And so by going through that multiple times, you see, oh, you know, I can use this feedback. And so it's building a, a model in the mainstream by beginning to acknowledge that there is a model and that we can actually adhere to the steps of it and we can actually give meaningful feedback and uh, have the kids uh, feedback to themselves to their peers and actually use it so it's kind of it's a it's a pretty fundamental change uh, that one in my opinion yeah and i would say again not to make it too much of a straw man case here but the traditional approach to education puts a lot of emphasis on what we now would call the summative assessment or the final assessment or the final test and this is again one of these babies of the mainstream approach is assessment kind of gets broken into three things and like jargon warning but i think most people if you're in education know these words or some variation of them the idea of a diagnostic assessment which you already mentioned which is what you do at the start of a unit to see what a student already knows, then the summative assessment is that final test or that final demonstration of knowing. But along the way, you have these formative assessments. Now, they might count toward, and I should say the diagnostic assessment rarely would count for a student's mark or be used for the report card because you're just seeing what they already know prior to teaching. The summative assessment almost most definitely is being used to substantiate a mark for the report card. But those formative assessments along the way, they might be used for a student's mark, but they might also not. And it's lower stakes to say, well, if today was the final test, here's where you're at and here's where you still need to go to get to sort of the next level. And, you know, those kinds of check-ins, I think, when done explicitly, are very important and useful. Um, We go back to this idea quite often that the mainstream school is constantly in this balance of what's most effective and what's most efficient. And I would argue that these kinds of things like the feedback and assessment, the differentiation, you know, the inclusion of everybody, we're looking for a very effective and efficient use of class time and of the child's time. And I know it's my little like heart tugging uh, move that I make from time to time, but I often think for myself, it's like I childhood's short. I don't want to waste a kid's time. If I've got 45 minutes with them today, I want it to be a good use of their time in the room. And I think that arguably um, the other two approaches to school when not done effectively are not necessarily the most effective or efficient use of class time. And I think this is a strength of the mainstream. And then finally, just the idea of sharing at the end of a lesson for developing some reflection and connect or bring to a close the activities that have been going on. I know in more traditional classes, there might be that input and then some work time. And then it's, oh, there's the bell, pack up your stuff, get out of here. The mainstream approach tries to kind of like have a beginning, a middle and an ending. And that that ending then will lead to the next lessons beginning, the next middle, that next ending. That idea that there should be this kind of coherence and connectivity between everything that's going on in the classroom. So those are some of the good things, edutainment, differentiation, opportunity, feedback assessment, integrating that formative assessment and uh, that time for sharing. What are some of the bathwaters? What are some of the things we don't want to see, Brendan O'Leary? Well, one of the criticisms that you may get from a more progressive leaning kind of parent or 
our teacher is that there's still not really a meaning for the kids within the lesson. It doesn't necessarily connect directly to their lives as it might do as you move into more progressive school where it is where the, the learning is kind of experiential based on what you're doing and what you've done and where you want to go next as an individual and what benefits the community. And so actually has a way for you to take your learning and use it in the world. It still isn't really meaning, uh, isn't really meeting that. So, you know, your, your instructional model has moved from people sitting passively for 99% now to them kind of having some kind of engagement and having some kind of work that's at their level. But a more progressive educator would say there's still a long way to go before kids can bring like their whole selves to the class and actually be engaged in meaningful learning. And um, of course, they would lean more towards that, that goal of self-development um, in a more you might say holistic style where I think in a, the the mainstream we'll say that of the three goals they are a little bit more geared towards the next stage of school or eventually you know, getting a job or a part in the workplace um, and likewise a, um, a progressive educator might say that yeah you're having some discussions and some talks in this lesson and you're having the kids kind of share some ideas but really you've already set everything in advance because you've got this curriculum document and this set of steps that's taking you were the school or the government or the you know the just the, the um, education authority uh, needs everyone in that class to go. So yeah, there's a bit of differentiation, but actually you're all going in the same direction, just at different speeds. And so once again, that meaning isn't quite there. Now, if you flip to the other side, a more, a more traditional teacher might see this as, where am I going to get all of this time? You know, I am suddenly have to make three, four, five levels of task, whereas before I could have had everybody fill in this worksheet this gap fill activity and match a bit of vocabulary write a few sentences and I'm done now you're saying oh hold on these kind of high achievers or whatever that's not going to challenge them so now I have to find something that's challenging at their level uh, where does it end Rob where does it end am I just gonna I'm gonna have to differentiate for every single person and I've heard variations on that argument and I do get it if you're if you've been used to and you're used to doing your, your kind of a more lecture style and then a, a, a non-differentiated activity for everybody just to check that they've got what you said in the lecture. Of course, this does seem like a lot, a lot more work to differentiate the content, the process, your assessment. And really, it is a, a kind of a long-term move for teachers to be supported in that direction. Um, but rarely have I heard the argument that it doesn't on some level serve the students better. I've heard, you know, people try to say that, you know, well, we're keeping them all the students together, they can support each other and so on. And we, nobody feels bad that anybody's behind or ahead. And it's like, uh, well, actually, in a in a traditional school, people are often very far behind and do feel really bad about it. You know, we don't have the dunces cap and the person stood in the corner facing the wall anymore. But still, it's, um, you know, the children in the classroom know where they're at. You know, they can see the students around them. And the idea of differentiating uh, starts to address that issue. Hey, we're all different. We're all we're all starting from different places. Um, 
and we all need different levels of support. Um, yeah, and, and then, you know, uh, related to that, you know, implementing a differentiation within a, within a school has all of these moving parts now. So to get teachers, the professional development and the day-to-day -day support and the resources needed, very expensive for schools. And so what actually happens in a lot of places is that the professional development doesn't really happen, but teachers are given things like basal readers or textbooks that maybe have a couple of levels in there. We got these kind of textbooks in England that basically the page was split into three sections. And so you could just say, okay, <laughs> this group's starting at the top, you're in the middle and you're at the bottom. And uh, for what they were, they're actually pretty good. They were, they were very well designed, but um, that does bypass the actual nature of a teacher kind of you know, being able to get to grips with what differentiation is. So it's, it's more complex and requires more time and energy than um, what was previously expected. And this ties into one of these developmental goals for a mainstream school, which is to provide that time and space for horizontal and vertical collaboration. And again, when everything gets pushed down to what's most effective, most efficient, what might be most efficient is a textbook resource like you're discussing. Whereas what might be most effective is actually having the budget to pay for a few hours a week for all of the teachers involved in a department to collaborate together so that that differentiation doesn't fall on the shoulders of one single teacher, but is shared across the school and can ensure some continuity, some coherence between grade levels. And you know, if you've got students who are working two years above grade level, then it's you and the teacher two years above who are collaborating these sorts of things. But at the end of the day, you know, not only are resources like textbooks expensive, paying for the amount of teacher time that that requires is a huge expense in schools and is often one of the first ones to try to be mitigated or replaced somewhere else in the system to compensate for that. Whereas Essentially, if you do want to pull this off at the highest functioning level, you've got to have that time built into whether it's the week or at least the month um, for the teams to be able to properly do that. And so the, there we are. We've got the what we call the three-part lesson. It's the beginning of explicitly looking at a model of teaching and being able to play around with that model. Um, when it was first introduced in Britain as an explicit way to teach. I remember, you know, often the government inspectors would actually time the section of the lesson. So it's like, you don't go more than 20 minutes for your input and then your main part of the lesson is about 30 and that gives you 10 minutes to, to kind of meet and do a plenary. And, you know, that's a little bit artificial, but it does, for better or worse, say, no, there, it, you're not just teaching oh, I, I just teach well yeah of course you just teach but let's acknowledge that there is a lecture style and if you're studying the classroom and you're at the board with your chalk and you're making notes and the kids are writing it down and 75 percent of the lesson is you kind of explaining the textbook that is a model and similarly if you're in a progressive classroom and there are there is no maybe no whole class instruction maybe it's a maybe there is a short discussion or you're working on more much more open-ended inquiries that is also a model and so you know acknowledging that this in the mainstream um, sees the model and then of course by by the nature the uh, system will try and make it more effective and more efficient 
So that we're at. What's next, Rob? So up next, we've got differentiated instructions. So we'll dive a little bit deeper into the specifics of what differentiation and support look like and possibly uh, juxtaposed with homework in the mainstream school. Those might be put together in one episode or knowing our pace at this point, likely two separate episodes. Taking the country roads through the mainstream school. Well, thanks very much for that, Robert. Enjoyed that uh, little discussion there on uh, what happens in a classroom. And if this has been interesting to you and you'd like to reach out to Brennan and I, the best way to do so is fire up your old email machine and type in reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com. Reinventingeducationpodcast is all one word, no spaces, no gaps, no fancy underscores. Reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com. What was that email again, Rob? That was reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com. All a word. All one word. With a dot in the middle. With a dot towards the and end a, and then the at and symbol. An at symbol. Yeah. No capitals. No capitals. Got it? Great. It's flashing on the screen right now. <laughs> Thanks, Brennan. Bye.